All right, well, we're in a series in the book of Exodus, and we began last week. We're going to be looking at this book all the way into Easter, and so uh, we're going to be preparing ourselves for Easter by looking uh, at the story here in the book of Exodus, which is really, the, the story of Exodus is, is uh, the story uh, in which the New Testament writers frame the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what the New Testament writers say is that you'll never really understand what Jesus did for you apart from the story of Exodus. And so we're going to familiarize ourselves with this story. And the story, as we pick it up here in chapter 2, uh, the story of the, the um, uh, this is Moses in the basket. And this is a story of faith. This, this little story here is a picture of faith. And I know that because this is what the book of Hebrews tells us it is. And so a lot of times when you're studying an Old Testament narrative, an Old Testament story, one of the best things you can do is look in the New Testament and see if it, this story is ever referenced in the New Testament. And this story is Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that the story of Moses in the basket is a story of a mother's faith. And I want to read you here. If you look in our bulletin, you'll see a little quote from Hebrews, Hebrews 11 about uh, Moses' parents. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so here, uh, this, is a, this is a chapter. It's called The Hall of Faith. And it says that, that Moses' parents, when they put Moses in the basket, were exercising faith, and not just average faith, like this is great faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells us the stories of heroes throughout the ages who exercised faith in God, and one of these heroes is Moses' mother. It's a picture of great, great faith. And it's important for us to see pictures like this because really faith is crucial. Uh, the book of Hebrews also in chapter 11 says that without faith... It is impossible to please God. And so without really understanding, you know, faith, it's impossible to please God. And so stories like this are so, so valuable to us. God really cares about faith. And it reminds me of uh, the great theologian, um, Darth Vader. Uh, you'll see his quote in your bulletin here. The great theologian, Darth Vader, he said, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Right? So faith is important to Darth Vader. Faith is, is really important to God. It, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so stories like this are invaluable because they give us a little glimpse into what faith looks like. But when you look at the story here, what's so interesting is that what, what Moses' mom does here, it really doesn't, to me, it really doesn't look like faith. You know, if the New Testament hadn't told me that this is how the story was to be read, I probably would never have read this as a story about faith. I mean, when I look at it, I mean, this is a desperate woman in an unimaginably difficult circumstance doing her best with the lot that she's been given. I mean, this is just, it's a gritty, dark, desperate story. I would have never thought this was a story about faith. It just looks like she's just doing what she can, what she, what she can only do. But this is the way faith is. When you're, when you're exercising faith, you, you almost don't even know that you're doing it. Right? Faith, when you're doing it, doesn't look like faith. Right? It's not until hindsight that we look back and we say, oh, that was faith. That, that's what she was doing. She was exercising faith there. So faith never looks like faith in the moment. It looks like desperation. It looks like, I don't know what's going on here. And it's not until hindsight that we can look back and say, oh, that is faith. And some of you in this room this morning, you might be exercising faith right now and you may not even know it. 
because faith is hard to recognize when you're doing it. It's only in hindsight that you can kind of look back and say, oh, that was faith. This is, this is what, what, what it looks like. And so uh, what we're going to do here is I want to look at this little story. Faith is so hard to see, but I want to dissect her actions. I want to look at this woman's faith. I want to go step by step and see what it looked like. This is a picture of faith. We're going to go step by faith, step and, and, and see what her faith looked like on the ground so that we can exercise the same sort of faith in our lives. Now, as we get into it, let me uh, just kind of remind you of the context. So remember, uh, you know, uh, the the Hebrews are now in Egypt. They used to live in Canaan, but they traveled to the land of Egypt during a famine. And and Egypt was a great place to live, and so the the Israelites stayed there. They they laid down roots, and here they are in, in Egypt, and they've been here for close to 400 years. But the, the Hebrews began to multiply, and, and this became a threat to the Egyptians. And so one particular pharaoh, a new pharaoh in Egypt, um, creates this edict where he says, all the Hebrew boys are to be uh, murdered. They're, they're to be killed. You know, Hebrew girls are not a threat, right? You can assimilate them. You can traffic them. But Hebrew boys need to be killed. And so this is a very desperate situation. And it sets the stage for civil disobedience, right? The midwives disobey the pharaoh. And then I think it's Pharaoh's mom here in this story, or uh, Moses' mom here in this story, that wins the prize for civil disobedience. She says, oh, you want me to throw my baby on the Nile? Okay, I will. So she creates a little basket and she throws her baby in there. It's a desperate situation. It's also a picture of faith. I want us to see three things here about her faith in the story. Uh, Number one, we're gonna see that her faith looks like desperation. You wanna know what faith looks like? It looks like desperation. Second of all, faith looks like courage. And then finally, faith looks like confidence. What does faith look like? Desperation, courage, confidence. We see it here in Moses' mom. So faith looks like desperation. Let's look here, verse one. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she, she hid him for three months. And so we see here the opening chapter, uh, verse of chapter two, this is a mixture of joy and sorrow. This is a, a, a marriage, you know, two people find each other and get married, and they have a beautiful little boy, but it's all in the shadow of, of a deeply dark period of human history. This is joy and sorrow. And if, if, if this baby wasn't born in such a tragic circumstance under a death, death sentence, this would, would have been probably the best time of this woman's life. If you want to get a picture of what this might have been like, picture, you know, a woman getting married, a couple getting married during the period of the Holocaust, right? Or, or picture a, a beautiful baby born, a baby who is born under the system of, of early American slavery, right? It's a mix of joy and sorrow. This is what's going on here. This baby is born under a death sentence, and so the mother, what does she do? Like any mom, you know, any you know, mama bear, you know, they're, they're very uh, uh, protective of their children, you know, they're, they're vicious, you know, their little children, child is threatened. And so what does she do? She hides the child for uh, as, as long as she can. It says she hid him for three months. But then in verse three, you know, little babies, they don't stay quiet. It's uh, as you parents know, right? They scream and they cry and they, they're hungry. And so this baby, after three months, is uh, it's impossible to hide him. And so what does she do? Verse three. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it 
placed it among the reeds by the river. Now, this is, this is a woman who is out of options. I mean, no uh, woman in her right mild, mi- uh, mind would, would do this to her child. No, no woman in her right mind would do this. She, the only reason why she does this is because she is completely out of options. This is not a good plan. It's not like she went to her husband one day and said, hey, the, I've got a great plan. Let's put our little baby in a basket and throw him down the Nile. I mean, this is not, this is not a good plan. This is the only plan. Right, this is the only option that she's got. And it's an absolutely dangerous option. Uh, the Nile River is not like the bayou down there on the other side of Main Street. It's not this quiet, trickling little river. This is a deep, uh, strong uh, river uh, filled with crocodiles. It's got a, a massive current there. And, and this is a very risky thing to do. A very dangerous uh, situation to put your little baby in. I mean, she, the only reason why she does this is because she's absolutely out of options. This is a desperate situation. But here's the first thing that we learn, is that this is what, she does this in faith. Faith is what we do when we're out of options. Faith is what we do when we are in a desperate situation. You know, when you are at the end of your rope, when you're at your extremities, when you've reached the very end of all of your plans and all of your contingency plans and all of your good ideas, when you're at the very end of your rope, that so often is, where, is, is the place where faith is born. And so faith here looks like a desperate reaching out for God when you have no other option. As a pastor, uh, I see this all the time. So I'll, I do membership interviews, and I'll, I'll hear people's stories, their stories of faith, how they came to faith, how they grew in faith. And what's so interesting is almost every single story that I hear has some sort of desperate circumstance that led that person into faith. Right, I was kind of, I, I wasn't really following God. I didn't really uh, know him or believe in him until I lost my job. And then I turned to God in faith. Then I found myself in a church. Or I was, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the test results came back positive. And I didn't know what to do, and so I found myself crying out to God. Right, or the, my, my child walked away, and, and I didn't know what to do, and so I desperately found myself reaching out to God in faith. So often, faith is born in desperate situations when you are out of all your options. I see this in story, in story after story as a pastor. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a desperate situation. And, and nobody would want to be in the situation that you're in. You wouldn't have chosen that situation for yourself. And yet, realize this, that so often, your desperate situations, your extremities, are opportunities for faith. Here this woman, her, her faith is born in this desperate situation. And I think as Americans, this is so hard for us because we are so, uh, it's very rare for us to be in an absolutely desperate situation, isn't it? I mean, we live in a wealthy nation where we don't need to trust God. We have bank accounts and we have, you know, contingency plans and all that. And uh, what's so interesting is that, you know, self-reliance, somebody once said, is a quintessentially American virtue. We love self-reliance. We love to rely upon ourselves. In fact, it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who wrote an essay once called Self-Reliance. And he spoke about self-reliance as an actual virtue. He says in this essay, trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to this iron string. And he says, rather than relying on anything external, even God, 
We are to depend upon ourselves and the power that resides within us. But faith begins when we look outside of ourselves. And so often the only reason why we look outside of ourselves is because we have no other option. Your extremities are the opportunities for faith. And this woman turns to God only when she's desperate. Here's the thing about faith, is faith rarely ever grows sitting and listening to a sermon. I mean, I wish, I, I wish this is the way it happened. I mean, you can learn a lot listening to a sermon, and yeah, there, faith can do a little bit of growth, growing while you're listening to a sermon, but you know when faith really grows? It's when your life falls apart. And Jesus knew this. Uh, you know, remember Jesus with his disciples? He would teach them sermons, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the parables. He would teach them, but when he really wanted them to grow in faith, when he really wanted to teach them a lesson of faith, you know what he would do? He'd say, let's go out onto the Sea of Galilee. He'd put them in a boat. They would go straight into a storm where their faith really was tested, where they really got an opportunity to grow and learn a lesson of faith. Faith is born when your life falls apart. Faith is even revealed when your life falls apart. You know, it's so, it's so telling. When somebody goes through a difficult circumstances, then their faith is revealed. There are so many, there are people in this room where I didn't realize how much faith you had until I saw your life fall apart. Faith reveals the, the heroes, or circumstances revealed, bad circumstances reveal the strength of your faith. They test your faith. And here this woman's desperate circumstances reveal that she's a giant. And the book of Hebrews tells us that. Faith, number one, looks like desperation. It's what happens when you are out of all your good options. So if you're out of good options this morning, this is your opportunity. Second of all, faith we see here looks like courage. So what does she do here? So she, uh, she goes down to the river, and it says that she, uh, in verse 3, she took her baby... Um, she took for him a basket and, and made of uh, bulrushes, and she daubed it with uh, bitumen, which, uh, if you remember the story of Noah's Ark, bitumen is what he put inside of the ark to keep it, uh, to make it waterproof, you know. This is what they did in the old days. They didn't have resin like you put on surfboards. They had bitumen. What is it? I have no idea. But it sounds, I won't say bit bitumen. <laughs> but I would, I'll just say it sounds awesome. Um... That was super weird. <laughs> Edit that out of, the, out of the sermon tape, please. But she, she put this bitumen in there, which made the, uh, the little basket waterproof. And it says, she's so tender here. She placed it among the reeds by the river. And she tucked the little baby in, you know, into this little basket. I mean, it's so ten tender. It is such a touching little scene. But I will tell you, this scene is filled with courage. Filled with courage. It took an enormous amount of courage to put her baby into this basket and to send that baby downstream. Her faith here looked like an enormous amount of courage because what was she doing here? She was relinquishing control of her most precious possession. It takes courage to do that. And this is what faith is. Faith is relinquishing control of your most precious possession. All of us have a most precious possession. 
For her, it was this little baby Moses. I mean, this was a, it says here, he was a beautiful boy. I mean, even, she, even though she didn't know what the future held for little baby Moses, when she looked at this boy, she knew that he was very special. He was a beautiful boy. He was her life. I mean, he was her all. I mean, this was this beautiful baby born under, under a death sentence. But her faith is revealed when she relinquishes control of this most valuable possession. We all, like I said, have a most valued possession. Right now I'm reading the uh, uh, Lord of the Rings series. And do you remember the Lord of the Rings series? Is that, that little guy, Gollum, the green little guy? And he, the, the ring of powers is the most valued possession. And he looks at the ring and what does he call it? But he know? Oh, my precious. This is my precious. And he looks at the ring and he values the ring. The ring is his most valuable possession. And all of us have a my precious. Maybe your, your most valued possession is your career, your career success. This is the thing that you dream about. This is the thing that you go, be, go to bed thinking about. Or maybe your most valued possession is money, making lots of money, make, being a wealthy person. Maybe you grew up in poverty and, and your dream in life is to finally be comfortable and, and to live in that, right, that good neighborhood, to have the right car, have the right house, that sort of thing. Or maybe your most precious possession is like this Moses' mom, your child. It's very easy for our children to become our most valued possession, our precious, our life. Her faith is revealed in relinquishing control of her most valued possession. There goes her precious floating down the Nile. And notice she, she shows the relinquish, relinquishing of control by, she, by not watching, right? She puts the baby in the basket and then what does she do? She turns around and she goes home. It's almost like she's saying, I can't watch. I've got to give up control here. I can't watch what happens. Some of you guys know this during a football game, right? It's the third quarter and your, your team is behind and uh, you know, it's, they've got three minutes left and there's one more play and what do you say? You're, you, you look at you, I can't watch. Because you can't control it, right? You're there, there's nothing you can do and so I'm gonna leave, I'm not gonna watch, I can't watch. And I picture this is what Moses' mom is doing. She can't watch. As her baby flo floats down the night, it's just too stressful. She just said, I can't do it. And so her daughter watches instead. Her daughter is the one, Miriam is her name, who follows the little basket down the river. But by putting that baby in and saying, look, I'm not going to watch this, she was relinquishing control of her most valued possession. And this is faith. Faith is letting go of control of the outcome. It is taking that job, that career that's so valuable to you. It's taking that, that child that's so valuable to, value, valuable to you. It's taking the, that money you know, that's so valuable to you and saying, look, I'm going to relinquish control of that thing to God. How do you know when you haven't done this? When you haven't relinquished control, your life is filled with anxiety and stress. Right, if, if you want to know what your real God is, what you're really trusting in, look at that thing that, that surrounds all of your uh, anxiety and control issues. <laughs> right, whatever your anxiety and control issues are all around, that's your most valued possession. And faith is letting that go. Letting it go to God. This is why faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite of anxiety. 
for me, I'll just give you a little window into my life. For me, my most, the, the thing that often becomes the most valuable thing for me is career success. I want to preach a good sermon. And so, so often on Saturday nights, uh, isn't this interesting? I'm talking about preaching a sermon while I'm preaching a sermon. Saturday night, I can't sleep at night. Why? Because I'm worried about the outcome. I'm, so I've got to control this thing. It's got to be really good. Now, I listened to a little, uh, it was a little lesson on preaching by Tim Keller. And he said, I can teach you how to preach a good sermon, but not a great sermon. And he says, I, I can't teach you how to do a great sermon because nobody, nobody knows how to do that. He said, a, a good sermon is when you try your hardest and you apply all the tools and all the things that, that you've learned, and then you, you do that, and that could be a good sermon. But he says, a great sermon only happens by the power of God. And he says, you can't control that. And so every day I come out, every Sunday I come out, and I can't control the outcome of my sermon. And so often I've, th there's stress around that, there's control issues around that, but when I'm, when I'm putting my faith in God, I relinquish control of the outcome. Now it's really smart to do this because you can't control the outcome anyway. Jesus put it this way, he says, don't worry about your life. He said in Matthew uh, 6, he says, he says, because which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his or her span of life? So often we have no control over the outcome anyway. But here we are stressing and anxiety and I've got to watch, I've got to worry. But faith is relinquishing control to God. Putting that baby in the river, walking, turning around and walking home. So it looks like it takes courage to do this because it's risky to do this. But you're letting go of control. It's the second thing she did. What is the third thing she did? The third thing she did is, is what faith looks like here is that faith looks like confidence. So faith looks like uh, desperation. It happens when things are desperate. Turning to God when you're out of options. It looks like courage, relinquishing control of the outcome as opposed to control and anxiety. And finally, it looks like confidence. Confidence what? Confidence in God's invisible hand. Notice what happens here. The, the, the basket is found by Pharaoh's daughter in verse five. Now the, the daughter of the Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, to, and she took it. Verse six, and when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is, this is one of the Hebrew children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the women took the child and she nursed him. Okay, so here's what happens. She, she relinquishes the little baby to God. The baby floats down the river and lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby and she has compassion on the baby. Who wouldn't love a beautiful crying little baby? So she takes the baby in and she takes care of him. And then uh, Moses' mom, Moses' sister, Miriam, she says, I know, she said, she goes up to the Pharaoh's daughter, you, you, can't, you can't take care of this baby. Let me, there's a Hebrew woman over here who will nurse the baby for you. And Pharaoh's daughter says, great, you bring her to me, she can nurse the baby and I'll pay her to do it. Now isn't this great? 
She lets her baby go and, and, and lets, the, lets the baby out there, but then the baby comes back. And she gets to nurse her own baby, and she gets to get paid for it. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? And you're thinking, well, it's easy to trust God when that happens, right? I let the baby go, and the baby comes back, and I get to nurse the baby. Easy to trust God. Easy for her to trust God. But then look to what happens here. This is verse 10. This, to me, verse 10, is one of the most, man, it's, re, it's so easy to read over verse 10, but it is a heartbreaking little verse. Notice what it says here. When, when the child grew, so that she nursed the baby, the, child, the baby's now three years old, probably around this time. When the child grew up, she brought him to the Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So it's so easy to read over this verse, but she ha- you had to, so she hands the child over to Pharaoh's daughter, and she had to assume never to see him ever again. Takes her three-year-old child. You know, I've got a three-year-old child. Takes the three-year-old child, her precious, gives, gives her baby to the Pharaoh's daughter. We had to assume never to see this baby again. Now, how is a mother able to do a thing like that? It's because she had confidence that when she laid that, when she put that baby into the arms, that child into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter, she was really putting the baby or the child into the arms of God. It was confidence. In God's invisible hand, confidence in the fact that God was working. That behind all the circumstances, behind the Nile, behind the basket, behind the Pharaoh's daughter, was the invisible hand of God working. Faith is confidence in God's invisible hand. Now, this is not certainty. Like we said, this woman didn't know what was going to happen. She had no idea what was going to happen. She, she probably left this day, went back, and wept. Faith is not certainty. However weak it is, faith is confidence in God's invisible hand. In your life. God's doing something. God is in control. Dallas Willard says this, Dallas Dallas Willard says, faith is confidence grounded in reality. Faith is confidence grounded in reality. It's confidence in the way things really are. Now as we look with our eyes, there's a lot of things, we look at life and the reality looks dark and the reality looks broken and the, the, the reality looks like things are absolutely out of control. But the, but the true reality is that behind it all there is an invisible hand. God is at work. Faith is confidence. It's resting your life in the arms of God's invisible goodness. At this point in the story, God has been silent for 400 years. So from the time that Joseph was ruling in Egypt to now, it's been 400 years. And God has been absolutely silent. God is invisible. But in faith, this woman can see God's invisible. She, can, she has confidence in the fact that God, although he seems absent, is really at work. My friend uh, showed me a, strict, a stick drawing one time. And of this stick drawing, there, there was this little person 
and, 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 this, and hovering over this person was a monster. Okay, so here's this person, the person standing there, hovering over the person is a monster. And all the little stick person could see was the monster, was the large, huge monster. But they couldn't see that looming behind the monster in the picture was someone infinitely greater. Faith sees the God which overshadows whatever happens to be overshadowing you. It can be hard to know that God is overshadowing things when you look around, but faith sees God's good, invisible hand. So these are the three things. Faith is, look, what does it look like? It looks like desperation when you're out of options. Faith looks like courage to relinquish control. Faith looks like confidence in God's invisible hand. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. All of us today have situations in our lives where we can exercise this sort of thing. Where does God want you to exercise this sort of thing in your life today? What is your impossible situation? Where are you out of options? Where do you feel weak? Where do you feel like there's nothing, uh, there, there are no a good, there's no good plan here? Where do you need to relinquish the control of the outcome? Where do you need to put your confidence into the arms of the invisible God? Well, you might be asking, well, how do I do this? You need to know that God's invisible hand is good. You need to know that the absent God really isn't absent. I want to turn, just before we end here, at the very end of chapter two, there's this, there's this really powerful little verse. A very powerful little verse here. In, in verse 24, it says, and God, at the end of 400 years, he's been silent this whole time. Finally, it says, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So in this little verse, God is the object of a strong string of verbs. Is there a more descriptive passage about the character of God in all the Bible than this? God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. This is how you trust God. You know, even in a, despite his absence, despite all the evidence to the contrary, you look to God and you know that he's the God who hears, who remembers, who sees, and who knows. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence of God's invisible hand. You say, how do I know God is there? How do I know that God is good? How do I know that God sees? How do I know that God hears? Jesus Christ is the ultimate evidence of the seeing God. Because Jesus Christ is a tangible expression of God's faithfulness. In the bloody brow, in the pierced hands of Jesus, we have evidence that God's invisible hand is at work for your good. Jesus Christ is the object of your faith. And so where this morning do you need to do what this woman did? Where is your impossible situation Where do you need to relinquish control and where do you need to rest your situation? In the arms of God. That's faith. I find your lack of faith disturbing, says the great theologian Darth Vader. 
And God says it's impossible to please me without it. Let us stand today. Can we stand and we'll sing, we'll sing a worship song and I'll pray for us. Dear Father, we pray that you would <clears throat> give us power this morning, give us strength to exercise faith. Lord, we pray that, God, in all the confusion of this world, in all the confusion of our lives, Lord, that we would reach out to you. Lord, that you would help us to act courageously. God, so often faith doesn't look like faith in the moment, Lord, but I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to move forward. God, help us to reject despair. Help us to reject fear. Lord, help us to move forward and and place all of our lives, all of, of that which is most valuable to us, in your hands, knowing that you are at work and you are at work for our good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.